that out. Five till? Okay. So five till two. All right. Excellent. I'll be sure to do that. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to um, Mark chapter 4. It is, honestly, I said it in Sunday school, but it is a joy to be here. It's been so great catching up with a lot of college friends, uh, with your pastor, who was so instrumental in, in helping direct my wife and I in college, Mass and Baptist College, and the influence in both pastor's class as well as uh, Mrs. Jacobs' class for my wife. It was just wonderful. And, and then the other thing that's so encouraging is to see you're still going at it strong, and you haven't swayed, you haven't moved. Um, unfortunately, we, we have the stories of some of our college friends you know, that aren't even in church anymore. And so it's encouraging to see you're, you're still staying by the stuff. You're still using the same Bible. You're still singing the same kind of songs. Um, and that, that it does encourage my heart. Mark chapter 4, I'm going to try to hurry then along. Mark chapter 4, I want to just kind of jump in. First, verse 1, I'm going to read quite a few verses. I'm going to try to read fairly quick. But I also don't want to be so quick that we move too quick across the Scriptures. Verse 1, it says, And he began again to teach by the seaside, and there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea. And the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables, and said unto them in his doctrine, Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow, and it came to pass, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, the fowls of the air came and devoured it up, and some fell on stony ground, where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched because it had no root, and it withered or it withered away. Some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. Another fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprung up and increased and brought forth some thirsty, or I'm sorry, some thirty and some sixty and some one hundred. And he said unto them. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. When he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked of him the parable. And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. That seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. And he said unto them, Know ye not that this parable, or know ye not this parable, and how then will ye know all parables? I'm going to skip down because verses 14 to verses 20 gives the interpretation of the parable. What the different things. In, in verse uh, 14, it, it indicates that the seed is the word of God. In verse 15, the fowls of the air that Satan who came and, and, and stole away the, the Word of God from their hearts. In verses 16 through seven, and, and 17, that stony ground is the shallow Christian, represents the shallow Christian who received the Word, but at first offense and first affliction were offended and left. Verses 18 and 19, uh, the thorns and the cares of the world, riches and the lust. Um, and then the last one is the good ground in verse 20. Those who heard the word of God received it and put it into practice. There, there's 
in this passage here, first of all, obviously this is, this is a great soul winning passage because it literally this whole parable is about soul winning. It's about spreading the gospel and sharing the gospel. And it also is not just the responsibility of the, the sower, those who is spreading the word of God and preaching and looking for the opportunity, but it also gives us an indication of those who are receiving the word of God and the different kinds of Christians that no doubt if you've been in church any length of time, you've, you've seen all of these Christians represented. Those who've rejected the word of God, those who were excited, super excited, received it, got saved, but they were shallow because they did not dig their roots into the Word of God. They did not ground themselves, as Colossian tells us to do, to ground ourselves in the Word of God. And when the first time of affliction came up or first trial came about, they were quickly offended and left. And then, of course, we see, praise the Lord, represented even here today, those who have grown in the Lord over the years and, and, have, and continue and hopefully desires to continue to draw closer to the Lord and allow the Lord to work through us. But really, that's not the message this morning. That is a wonderful passage and and wonderful application of soul winning. I really kind of want to draw our attention back to a a couple of verses that at times might have been confusing for some who read it. And I know it was for me uh, when when I read this multiple times and I'd kind of get to it and it kind of bothered me because I didn't understand it. And then I just keep reading. And that is in verse 11. If we'll look back at verse 11 and verse 12, it says, Unto you it is given. So so we see he uh, addresses this this multitude in front of him. And in fact, so much that they were gathering on the shore, he had to get into a boat and teach. And then he gives this parable. And then in verse 11 it says, And said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. Now, right here is where it's a bit confusing because verse 12 says that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, unless at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. At first glance, at first reading, if you read that, it almost looks like what Jesus is saying to the disciples. They didn't understand the parable, right? In verse, uh, in verse 10, it says, those that were around with the disciples asked them about the parable. So they didn't even understand the parable. And Jesus then addresses them and says, now, and then, and then he reads, or he, he states, as we read in verse 11 and 12, and it looks like Jesus is saying in verse 12, the reason I'm speaking in parables is that they may see and not perceive, and hear, hearing they may, uh, may hear and not understand. Why? So, so you can see it, but they won't understand. They won't perceive it. And they're going to hear it, but they won't understand. Why? Lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. So it almost looks like what Jesus is saying is the reason why I'm speaking his parables is because if they understood, they'd get saved. Which is an absolute contradiction to the entire Word of God, the theme of the Word of God. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's funny, with um, our uh, churches in the Northwest, people my generation and the generations come up, coming up for whatever reason are turning to Reformed theology and Calvinism. This idea of limited atonement, that God did not die. Jesus didn't die on the cross for everyone. Those only that God has selected will get saved. That is a, a teaching. I don't agree with that teaching because of the Word of God makes very clear 
the verse that says that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, they say is defined all of the elect, not all of mankind. Which, and please hear me out, that could be a definition of the word all, meaning that all doesn't always mean all of the entire world's population, but on the flip side, it could. So then you have to go back to the scriptures and allow the scriptures to define what does that all mean? Is it all of a select group or is it all the world? And I don't care how you might redefine the all, it's really difficult to redefine the world. God so loved the world. It's really difficult to redefine a select group but use the word world. Why well, he loved the world so much that he gave. You go to 1 John, it makes very clear that, that his shed blood is for the, the remission and the propitiation for all the world. For all. So we know then that this verse is not saying that Jesus is saying, the reason I'm speaking in parables is because I don't want them to get saved. So this is where I need you to really kind of listen closely because I do want to move fairly quickly. I don't want this to be a long, a long message. I need to be out promptly five till two. So, just kidding. So turn back. I want you to understand in verse 12, he's quoting. He's quoting an Old Testament passage. So turn back, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 6, which is also a really good soul winning and missions passage. has been used many times. Isaiah chapter 6. This is the well-known passage where in verse 8, also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. Now keep reading, verse 9. And he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not. And see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people, uh, make the heart of this people fat. The word fat means calloused and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert, and be healed. So Jesus is quoting from Isaiah in Mark chapter 4. But if we go back and we were reading this passage, it doesn't also give real clarity, because it almost then looks like the message that Isaiah is preaching is going to do that. In other words, the effects of the message, it, it almost looks like Jesus or the Lord is telling Isaiah, make the heart of this people fat or calloused or hard and make their ears heavy and shut their eyes lest they see. And again, it looks almost confusing where it's, it's saying lest they hear and understand with their hearts and convert and be healed. Again, that contradicts the whole theme of the word of God. So obviously there's something we don't understand. And this is where, in comparison to scriptures, in Matthew chapter 13 is the parallel passage. So turn ahead, if you would, Matthew chapter 13. All this has a point. Matthew chapter 13 is the parallel passage of Mark chapter 4. This is also the parable of the sower and the seed. And we're not going to read the whole thing because it's just paralleling it. But if you'll drop down, it's the same passage that Jesus is quoting in verse 14. Matthew chapter 13, 
verse 14. This is Jesus speaking. And in him, or and in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Esaias, which saith, so now he's quoting Isaiah chapter 6, by hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see and not perceive. And this verse 15 is what gives light and clarity to the whole misunderstood passage. For this people's heart is waxed gross. That basically refers to the fat or the callousness of their heart. And their eyes are dull of hearing. Or I'm sorry, and their ears are dull of hearing. It's difficult when your eyes are dull of hearing. And their eyes, look at that next, read those next three words. They have closed. Lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. That completely changes the understanding of those two passages. So what Jesus is saying, he's quoting from Isaiah and the problem in Isaiah, Old Testament, the nation of Israel, you see over and over, God blesses, they, they, they experience peace and then their arrogance and their pride rises up and they, they get distracted and they turn their eyes and their hearts and their minds away from the Lord and start chasing other false idols and idolatry and they start implementing things in their own life that, that does not please God and God sends prophets and God sends men of God to try to bring them back to the truths of the Word of God. But what we see here is that just like in the Old Testament, what he was telling Isaiah to do, listen, I want you to go spread the Word and I want you to go preach even though the condition that they're in is their hearts are callous towards the things of God. They're closing their own ears and they're shutting their own eyes so they will not be held accountable for what the Word of God says and what the Word of God is trying to admonish them, rebuke them, and draw them into the obedience of the Word of God. And so when Jesus is speaking in parables, we can go back to our, our passage in Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Now Jesus is speaking in parables. Now, it brings down... To, to the point of the message here, this is all introduction, I promise. I only have three points, and they're short. He reads a parable. Everyone's following, right? He reads this, or he, he states this parable. And in, in, in there's, there's this, this multitude in front of them. He speaks a parable that even the disciples don't understand. And then he quotes out of Isaiah that misunderstood passage where it looks like he didn't want them to get saved. But let's keep reading. So then you get the interpretation of the passage, right? In verses uh, 15 through 20. Look at verse 21. In fact, I'm going to read verse 20 just to keep it in context to, to show that he's just wrapping up the interpretation. And these are they which are sown on good ground, verse 20, such as hear the word and receive it, and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some an hundred. Verse 21. And he said unto them, Is a candle brought to be put under a bushel or under a bed, and not to be set on a candlestick? For there is nothing hid which shall not be manifested. Neither was anything kept back, but that it should come abroad. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And he said unto them, Take heed with or what ye hear. With what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you, and unto you that hear shall more be given. 
going to stop right there. Jesus says, after this parable, I've not hid anything. I've not kept anything a secret. In fact, isn't a candlestick supposed to not be hidden, but, but shed light? Isn't that the purpose of a candle? And I think there's, there's three things that we can learn from this passage, from verse 24. And he said, take heed what ye hear. Jesus desires us, as well as at that time his disciples and the multitude he was speaking to, he desires for us to listen to him. Now, I know that's a simple point, but I think there's more truth. Now, look if you would in verse, uh, uh, verse 9. Mark chapter 4, verse 9. And he said unto them, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. He also says it in verse 23. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. Now, what can we draw from that? I want, I want to be clear that I'm not being sarcastic. Jesus is not saying, if you hear my voice, then, then hear me. That's redundant, if that's what he's saying. Because if you heard what he said, then obviously you just heard what he said. Those who couldn't hear what he said wouldn't get what he was saying anyways because they weren't there to hear, right? So obviously we know the Lord Jesus is not being sarcastic and he's not being redundant and he's not shallow in what he's saying. We see certain signs in our society today that are kind of odd. I've been driving through a drive-thru and then saw a sign that said we have menus in Braille. And I get probably what's going on is that the person who is driving might know someone who's blind. I'm at least hoping that was the logic behind putting a sign, we have menus in Braille, in a drive-thru. Because hopefully a blind person is not driving, and if, even if he was, he wouldn't be able to read the sign. Right? That seems a little redundant. I, I've seen billboards. There was a billboard in Washington that said, you know, something along these lines, if you're, or like, illiterate, you know, big question mark, you know, call 1-800-READ-NOW or learn to read or something like that. And again, I'm assuming it would be, hey, I know someone who is illiterate. But it wasn't like, hey, do you know someone illiterate? It was asking the question to that person. If they were illiterate, they would not be able to read the billboard. So that really just, so what we do know is that the Lord's not being redundant. He's not making an obvious statement like, hey, if you, have, if you can hear me, then listen. That's not what he's saying. What he's talking about is something different, I believe. And uh, when he says, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 23, if any man have ears to hear, let him hear. Go follow that thought all the way to Revelation, and he says to the churches, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear what the what? Spirit saith. So he's not talking about a physical hearing, he's talking about a spiritual hearing. Turn back, if you would, to to Romans chapter 10 or ahead Romans chapter 10, and again, should be very, very common, Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Verse 17, it says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Here's what I think, if we're, if we're not careful, we're going we're gonna to lose a, a very vital truth to the Christian. And that is, we'll say faith comes by hearing the word of God. We'll read a verse like that, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. 
and will lump the last part of that verse together by saying, hearing the word of God. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. Now, faith, our faith is drawn from the word of God, so don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But how many of you have sat in church, let's be real transparent this morning, because I'm going to raise my hand too. If you've ever sat in, in, uh, in church or a college class and heard them but didn't get anything, so then you can hear the word of God and not get anything. So there, there are people here this morning, just like I've been in the pew, sitting and hearing the proclamation of the word of God, and my faith did not grow a bit. What it says is, faith comes by hearing. How do you get hearing? Hearing by the word of God. If you follow the theme of, what is it referring to just with the word of God? The word of God gives us the admonition over and over. Listen, then heed it. So in other words, obedience to the word of God starts attuning my spiritual ears to the voice of the spirit of God as he guides me. Let's look at this. I want to show you real quick. James chapter 1, this truth of, of heeding the word of God and, and having the spirit of God being able to help our spiritual hearing to his voice. James chapter 1, verse 22, it says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only. That's saying, don't just physically hear the word of God, but then what you hear, put it into practice. What happens when we don't? Deceiving your own selves. Self-deception occurs, and that's the worst kind of deception that can occur in our hearts. You know what that is? Pride. Because then if you continue reading on, James tells us it's like a man that looks in a mirror, sees, beholds himself, but doesn't do it and walks away and then forgets what he just saw. That's what occurs in our own heart and our own mind. Listen, I, I, I asked our, our class in, in Washington, give me some evidence of a godly person. What would you say a godly person, someone who's living for God, would look like? Give me some evidence of that. And they said, well, obviously church attendance. Oh, that, that makes sense. Yeah, someone who's living for God probably is going to attend church. Reads the Bible on a regular basis? Absolutely. Prays? Sure. You know, fast? Absolutely. Maybe verse memorization? Obviously a witness. You know, and, and some of these things, and, and there was just a list that, that they were trying to give me some evidences of someone who was godly. The problem is, it's the same list that is listed for the Pharisees. They look different. They attended church, memorized scripture, fasted often, gave alms. They, go down the list. Here's the problem. I'm not criticizing any of that list. The problem is it's all external. And you cannot see the heart. Jesus never condemned what they did. In fact, there is a passage that says basically that. He did not have a problem with what they did. But he said, you profess me with your mouth, but your heart is far from me. And the problem is, is when we hear the word of God and do not heed the word of God, we walk away with a self-deception and we can... dislocate our own arm by patting ourselves on the back, thinking we're a good Christian, and we're not. Because we're not obeying the word of God, because God is 
only gives us the word of God to allow the spirit of God to convict us so that we will submit ourselves to the leading of the spirit of God through the word of God so that he might talk to us more. But if we're not going to listen to the spirit of God in the first place, we'll walk away with a deception in our own mind, blinding ourselves. That's why pride is so blinding, which is also why I believe it's the first thing on the list of seven things that God hates. Proud look. We see so many times in the scriptures where God contrasts a humble spirit with an arrogant spirit. I'll lift up the humble. But I resist the proud. Why? Because it's the pride in us that says, I'm good enough. Oh, it's so easy in church to look out and go, I I have seen some pride. I know people, there's one guy at my work who's so arrogant. If we're not careful, we'll allow the pride in our own hearts. You You hear what I'm saying, church? In our own hearts, right here, right now, in our church, sitting in our pew, not fully submitting to what God is calling us to do. I won't have you raise your hand, but let me ask you this. And you ask yourself, and I want you to be honest because you don't have to put on some kind of a show. Not, not, I'm not implying anything with this church or anything. I just know myself, okay? And you always try to put yourself in best, best light, best foot forward. I fixed my hair this morning because I want to look good. Uh, I, I'm sure that some of the college friends knew me when I had hair. I had, I had so much hair. It was ridiculous. It was back at the... Back in the late 90s when you, you kind of ran your hands through your hair. I had so much. I can't do that anymore. The only way I'm going to do that is if I grow out my eyebrows. I'm going to have to grow out my eyebrows so I can fling my hands through my hair again. But if I ask you, has God convicted you on anything that you should either remove from your life or add to your life? Sitting in the pew, attending church, hearing messages, God stirred your heart for anything? Don't, don't raise your hand. I would, I would hope to say yes, that, that, that God stirs us and convicts us by either removing something that should not be in our life or adding something to our life that should be there. Now, let me ask you this, and don't raise your hand. How many of you have been convicted, not just today, but last week or maybe the week before, and still haven't done anything about it. Do you know it's easy to be in that position? That's why I'm not pointing fingers. That is the instance where our hearing, spiritual hearing, can start to become dull. In Matthew chapter 7, you can turn there if you want to, is the parable of the... Matthew chapter 7, towards the last part of chapter 7. Let me get there real quick. I want to show you where Jesus illustrates this truth again. The very last part, verse 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, see, there's the obedience of it, the hearing and the doing, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. The rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon the house and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. What, find, uh, what, what grounds us to the rock of the scripture, of the word of God? What, what grounds us there? What 
creates a, a, a stable foundation. Obedience to the Word of God. And everyone that heareth, verse 26, these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be like unto a foolish man which built his house upon a sand. And the, rain, the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house. And it fell, and great was the fall of it. So I believe back in our context, and you turn back to Mark chapter 4, verse 24, take heed what ye hear. Take heed what ye hear. Secondly, in verse 24, not only does Jesus desire us, uh, desires for us to listen to Him, but he, he desires for us to want Him. What do I mean by that? Look at, look at verse 24, it says, With what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you. If you define those words, it's kind of interesting, you define the word measure, it means portion. And the word meet actually means measure. So in other words, it's saying measuring as in like a measuring cup. With what portion you measure out, or we could put it this way, with the effort you put out, the effort you put forth, it'll be measured to you. You want more? Get a bigger scoop. You, you, you want more? You, you put the effort out. But then, and, and, and here's something interesting. How many of you read that passage and didn't fully understand those, those two verses? Well, I was kind of confusing. I was kind of bothered you maybe. If you, I know there were plenty of times. I don't know how many times I read that passage. Quite a few years ago when I was reading that, I read it again and thought, that's so weird because I still don't understand that. Uh, oh, well. And kept reading. And it was almost like the Spirit of God said, go back and read it again. So I went back and I read it again. Yeah, still don't understand it. And then that kind of led me on to some of the research. And it took about three or four days for me. I'm a slow learner. To understand what God was actually trying to show us. Now here's the irony about the whole thing. In verse 1 of chapter 4, look at this. And he began again to teach by the seaside, and there was gathered unto him, read those next three words, a great multitude. So much so he had to get into a boat, right? But now drop down to verse 10. And when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve. So, the 12 disciples are not the only ones Jesus asking that question. That means, I think we can assume there was some who hung out. But we do know from the context, it's not the great multitude. Right? So that means there were thousands of people sitting by the shore while Jesus taught in a parable. They didn't understand and went, idea what that meant. All right, let's go get some lunch. They were okay walking away, not understanding. But a few, however many were there, hung out with the disciples like, I got to ask them. What are you going to, did you know what that meant? No, no, 
we're going to ask them. Let's, let's, I want the answer too. And Jesus said, all you had to do was ask. You see that? Now listen. I read that passage, I don't know how many times, didn't understand, and was okay with passing over. The interpretation of what that passage means was the very thing I was doing. I think what Jesus desires of us more than anything is just to want him more. So stinking lazy. We don't understand something and don't care. And Jesus is saying, all you have to do is ask. And that's why Jesus at the end, after he gives the interpretation, says, isn't a candle made to go on a candlestick? I've not kept anything a secret. Literally, all they had to do was raise their hand and ask. You want a relationship with me? At least ask. At least desire to know me more. The very thing that Jesus is wanting us to do is sometimes the very thing that we're okay, please hear me out, we're okay doing our status quo Christianity. Please understand, I'm so glad you're here this morning. I've sat in the pew for 20 years listening to my pastor. So please understand, I'm including myself in this. It's too easy to play along with what we already know is expected of us without hungering and thirsting after God. David, it consumed him. Consumed him as the heart panted after the, the water brook. So my soul longeth after the eye. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. There's, there's, there's this longing in me. I just need to know you more. We're too lazy, we're too weak, and we're too anemic. And our society that we live in today are, are filled with churches who are anemic and they're, they're, they're okay with being anemic. We, we, we lack the desire and the hunger and the drive to say, I want to know my Savior more. I want to dive into the Word of God. I want to know His will for my life. I, I just got to know it. And listen, church, I'm not saying perfection. I'm not talking about you get to a level. We'll fall. We will fall, but the grace of God raises us up again, lifts us up again, and through the temptations and through the, the trials and through the failings, God can use that to strengthen our faith many times and draw us closer to Him. But it is the idea that I'm not satisfied where I am, I want to know. And by the way, if you're like me, your life can ebb and flow. I think that's okay. It is okay. I'm not excusing sin, but we're all human. And our emotions rise and fall. Men, I don't know, do you know the term hangry? You ever had a bad day and then you had a sandwich? You're like, ah, oh, it's not that bad. You know we're fickle people because our emotions tend to ebb and flow and rise and fall with circumstances and how we feel and whether we've eaten or not and 
and, and weights and burdens that consume our minds many times. It is an ongoing, that's why Paul said, it's a daily process that I have to lay myself back down. I have to surrender my own will and allow God to consume me once again. And even Paul in Romans chapter 7 admitted the things I'm supposed to do, I don't do. And the things I know I'm not supposed to do, I end up doing that. But don't give up. All Jesus is saying, just just one. Even his 12 disciples didn't understand him. But they were right in asking him, what did it mean? And Jesus said, that's all I wanted. I just wanted you to ask. Wanting his desire for us is that we would want him. Just want him. And then lastly, Jesus desires to bless us. Desires to bless us. And please don't misconstrue what I'm saying. I think sometimes we redefine certain biblical terms and I think it's, it, it hinders our own concept and perception of God. If, if I said, raise your hand and give me a, a, some, some way that God has blessed you, I would probably venture to say, there, there's probably exceptions somewhere, but I would venture to say the majority of the answers that we would say is, praise the Lord, my, my car uh, it broke down and, and man, it didn't cost that much. Or, uh, you know, I haven't gotten sick lately or we, we would the blessings described would be positive things of what we wanted in our life anyways rarely would someone say I just want to praise God because I got COVID or because a loved one passed away and it was grieving or because God sent me in a valley or sent me through a storm I just want to praise God because I'm in, in need Wouldn't the will of God be a blessing? And doesn't the will of God sometimes guide us into storms? Didn't he tell the disciples and in complete obedience, he said, get into the ship and go to the other side and sent them right into a storm. God wants to bless us. That doesn't mean make us wealthy and rich or give us good health. We don't need more health and wealth gospel. We need biblical gospel. And God blessing us means he blesses us with what we were searching for in the first place. Look at the verse. Verse 24. Any man, or verse 24, and he said unto them, Take heed what ye hear, with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you, and unto you that hear, look at that, shall more be given. More of what? More of himself. More of God. He, he that hears, that spiritual hearing, that spirit, spiritual seeking, the longing. I want to know you more. God says, oh man, if you, if you desire me more, the effort you put out, you're going to get back. And then... Not only that, far beyond. I'm going to show you things that you never saw before. You're going to experience me in ways that you never experienced. But i got to promise, you know this, 
you've been saved any length of time, it typically means a storm. We don't, we don't grow in good times. I wish we did. I wish I could lose some weight and gain some muscle by taking a pill and sitting on the couch. It doesn't work that way. And our Christian growth as we, we grow in the Lord means you want to grow. You want your faith to grow. Do you want to know me on more of an intimate level? Do you want to experience what I have for you and the grace that I want to pour out on you? Then you're going to have to trust me. And that means that your strength's going to have to be depleted for you, in, in order for you to experience my strength. You're going to have to be brought so low. But just know I'm, I'm there. Just know I'm not leaving you. But I, I'm going to have to do this so you, you grow, so you can experience me more. Where, where are the Christians? Where, where, where are the generations of Christians who desire, I just want to set all my own ambitions aside. I just want to know God. I just want to know God no matter what it costs, no matter what it looks like. I just want to experience your presence in my life. Listen, church, I know this is a, a missions theme. What, what better way to experience missions and experience the will of God than getting to draw closer to Him and sensing His heart? We think soul winning is a to-do, most likely we're not going to be real successful at it. But if I draw closer to God, He'll be able to show me where I'm failing Him, where I need to change, what things I can add to my life. I'll experience His peace, His, His presence, like I've never experienced it before. Why? Because I'm listening. Heeding his voice. Church, God desires of us far more than we can even imagine. He desires for us to want him, to listen to him. And he desires so much to bless us with his presence that we might accomplish his will. And, and the thing that's amazing about that is God gets the glory. That's the most important. Listen, if I, if I can accomplish something because I'm smart enough or because I'm talented enough or because I have enough experience or because of, then God's probably not in it. So in order to get God get the glory, that means it's going to have to go beyond what I know, what I've ever experienced, what my own talents, where I'm limited, so he gets the glory. Where are we at? Where, where is your heart at? You know what I love about it also? It has nothing to do with age. You're not too young and you're not too old to accomplish the will of God. Let me ask you this real quick. Do we think God can accomplish anything? Say amen. Do you believe there's any limit with God? Now, how many of you also, like myself, have been in situations where we felt God wanted us to do something and we said, but I can't because 
And then we listed our own limitations. I don't think that's hypocritical. What I think is going on is we have a head knowledge and we lack the heart knowledge. When I say heart knowledge, I'm talking about experiential knowledge. I think we know things from reading scriptures. And there's nothing wrong with knowing it and not necessarily following through because I believe that's a part of the growth process. God says, I know you know this. Now you're going to have to trust me and fall back into my arms so that you can know it on a different level. Father, we love you. But we openly admit, Father, we don't love you like we should. And we so desperately need to love you even more. We need to have a biblical love. A love that is sacrificial. A love that we would prove our love by our actions. And Father, only you can know all of our hearts. And in a room like this, with this many people, you still... You still know our individual needs. And Father, only you can convict us in multi multitude of areas. Father, would you please reveal to us by your spirit where we need to change, things we need to surrender. Our heart's desire is that you're glorified and that your precious son is lifted up. Father, help us to fulfill your will, and love you more. For it's in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed as we stand to our feet. Piano's playing. How much desire do you have for him? What a challenge from the word of God that... Boy, we can dress it all up on the outside, make it all look good. But it goes right to the heart of the matter, to be honest with you. Where's our heart at? Do we desire to walk closely with God? I do desire to walk with God, but I don't even know Him. Listen, you can know Him this morning. You can know Him today by putting your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and being saved. Maybe you'd say, I'd like to be saved this morning. Listen, we'd be more than happy to take the Word of God and show you how you can know for sure where, where you'll spend eternity and how you can start a relationship with God. That's where it starts. And after that, it's constant upkeep on our part to continue to walk with Him and desire to know Him better.
I always want to leave time for the Lord to work in hearts. That's what we're here for. That's why we're here. 